Hello, listener. Something a little different for you this week. A dedicated segment on the women's game with our correspondents Valkyrie Baines and Fidoz Munda. They're here to talk you through the latest in the Dene van Niekerk story, the pace of professionalisation in the women's game, and look ahead to the Ashes. It'll doubtless be the most entertaining Australia-South Africa double act since Shane Warne and Daryl Coleman. Take it away, ladies who switch. Fidoz, uh, to me, that uh, women's T20 World Cup feels like a very long time ago. I don't know about if it's the same for you, but um, a lot's happened in the lead-up uh, and then post that for Danae Van Niekerk. And you've pulled together a, a piece on her that's coming out this week. What's, uh, what's the latest and what's it all about? Yeah, thanks, Vox. It's nice to see you, although in uh, slightly different weather conditions, it is absolutely freezing here in the Western Cape. And by freezing, I mean 15 degrees, which is like summer for you guys. Don't uh, talk to me about freezing. It was two degrees when we woke up this morning. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> and we got a nice new name. So thanks, Alan. That's very cool. I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, the, the Dane van Nikkerk piece, actually, it, it feels much longer than the Women's World Cup in terms of my historical memory, because we actually wanted to profile her before the 2022 50 over Women's World Cup, which was actually supposed to be a 2021 50 over Women's World Cup. And so we interviewed her before that, just on captaincy. She'd done such great stuff at the 100 where she led the Oval Invincibles to the title. She'd done really well in the WBBL, although she didn't captain there. And she'd done really well with South Africa, kind of coming to the fore at that 2017 World Cup. We didn't publish the interview because she then broke her ankle and couldn't play in the World Cup. So we kept it. We re-interviewed her before the 2023 T20 World Cup in the hope that she'd come back. She was really positive. She'd been running well. She'd lost a lot of weight. The ankle had healed. She was pivoting nicely on that foot. And then she failed her time trial and she didn't make the squad. And we held the interview back and thought we'd keep it for her comeback. And alas, there will be no comeback. She's retired. She's gone. She's going to be in England playing regional cricket, playing at the 100. And so it's kind of now become a career retrospective. And I guess, I mean, you were here in South Africa, you saw the discussion and the drama around should she play, shouldn't she play, should an exception be made for an exceptional player? And then she keeps saying, you know, I don't want a free pass, I want to prove myself. And so we've tied all of that together. It's a piece, I think, that hopefully conveys the, the sense of regret, but also that that celebrates Dane, the player. And I'm sure you would have seen that there's a lot of reverence and respect for her, but at the same time, that South African women's team got to a World Cup final. No team has got there before without her. And so I guess there's a sense of moving on. And I don't know if you got that impression when you were here. Yeah, um, very much so. And it's really interesting you use the term moving on because now for her, I mean, she's moving on to a completely new phase of her career now. As you mentioned, she's going to start playing in the England domestic competition. She's playing for the Sunrisers in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. She'll be with them between May and the end of July when she'll then join up with Oval Invincibles again for the 100. So she's, yeah, she's basically in that next phase of her career franchise and domestic leagues around um, around the world. And interestingly, too, with the, the domestic leagues, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy's got a very distinctly South African flavour this year. Um, mentioned Darnay just then, but 
I've also got Chloe Tryon's been uh, recruited to Northern Diamond. She hit a half century um, at, in the first round at the weekend. Um, Nadine de Klerk is, um, is out here for the blaze. Um, and then, as we mentioned, um, Danae with the Sunrisers and also Paige Schofield. I mean, she's a South African born player. She's been over here with the Southern Vipers for a num number of years, but just moved to Southeast Stars um, for this edition and, and scored an unbeaten uh, century for, for Stars. So there's, there are a lot of South Africans over here. And what, what do you make of that? And, and you know, their, their moves to, to play over here in the off season? Yeah, it's absolutely much needed. It almost reminds me of the old days of men's cricket when we'd have an actual season that would last from September to Marchish. And then the men would come over and play a county season. And that experience is so valuable. First of all, because the conditions are really different. And we all know that when the ball bounces in England, it does something very different to when it bounces in, in South Africa. There's a lot more movement. And I think that will be really helpful for a player, especially like Nadine de Klerk, who... She's she's coming to the fore. She's coming into her own. She's learning quite a lot about the game. And as Marizan Cup probably enters the twilight years, I suppose we can say she's probably the successor. So I think keeping an eye on her will be really important. But then also in terms of professionalizing a domestic structure. So that is the next step for South African women's cricket. And it's supposed to be the legacy of this T20 World Cup. There is some money in the game. The SA20s really helped in that it's hopefully going to give CSA a little bit of a payout, whether that's this year or next year remains to be seen. But there's some money, there's some sponsorship, there's some interest in the women's game and professionalizing the domestic structure has to be the next step. We've already seen that depth is a big problem in teams outside of England, India, Australia, and maybe New Zealand. And you need to unearth that second tier of players pretty quickly because I don't think it can only come from the under-19 structures. I think it needs to come from a robust domestic system. So I'm hoping those girls will learn kind of what that looks like in England. They'll come back home, maybe share some ideas with, with Enoch Inquire, the director of cricket. Perhaps by that stage, we'll have a women's director of cricket or someone in a senior role there. There's some whispers that Hilton Mering, the coach who's been in charge for 10 years, it's a really long time, may move on to something like that and take on a bit of an overseeing role. And then maybe a structure can be put in place. What I hope it doesn't do is encourage more South African players to retire and then go and play league cricket around the world. Because I think we're seeing a trend of that, you know, also in your domestic system there, you've got Deandra Dotson and we're kind of yet to know why she retired and why she decided to kind of chase the franchise system. But that's happening more and more. Lizelle Lee's done it recently. I'm just wondering if, if the women's game is getting there too quickly. And I know you've been thinking about that. I have, yeah, indeed. We've, I guess, been speaking a little bit about it in the men's game um, in terms of, you know, the IPL's influence on international schedules and, and whether or not... Um, I guess the, the franchises are going to be the end of bilateral series. And that's also already being talked about in, in the women's game and whether that's the way to go. You know, we had the WPL and, you know, that's been a huge, big benchmark for the women's game in terms of more money, more exposure, all of that sort of thing. And there's sort of been this leap to, well, is that the way to go for, for women's cricket to really, you know, boost the interest and, and boost the money in the game and, and that sort of thing. But what I worry about is what opportunities the associate players are going to have to get a franchise deal if they're not playing bilateral series, um, it, you know, in, in the lead up or, or around that, that, you know, they have no chance to put themselves in, in the shop front window um, unless they're playing these series. I mean, they get, you know, 
chances at global tournaments um, if and when they qualify. But, you know, you've got players like, you know, Orla Pen Pendergrast um, from, from Ireland. She had a great T20 World Cup. Um, you know, Ireland have got a, a few players in there who, you know, they, they are really strong players. And you just sort of feel like if they had more opportunity, maybe they would get, get a go in, in those franchise tournaments. But none of them got picked up in the WPL. And, and you just sort of wonder, you know, what chances they have if they haven't got... Also, too, like a bit of a responsibility on the more wealthy nations to actually set up bilateral series with them. So it, it's something that, yeah, I'm really interested in seeing. And, and I do worry that, um, yeah, franchise cricket is amazing for the women's game. But in terms of the development, is it going to do anything to bridge that gap between the, the haves and the have nots? Yeah, and it's such a... a a well-known debate in the men's game and I guess we just need to look at the WPL in that there was one associate player in the USA's Tara Norris who got picked up and I actually thought some of the Thai players would get picked up because they'd made a pretty big statement at the previous T20 World Cup they are players there that have done very well at the fair break tournament which I also want to chat a little bit about given that that is a little bit of an opportunity for players who don't get seen in the big leagues to get some game time to play amongst the big names to be televised, to have contracts. And I think the fair break tournament was such a great idea when it came about, but I'm a little concerned that maybe it's going to get overshadowed. Now we've got a WPL, which is a big league with an auction, huge, huge dollar salaries going around, not for everyone, but certainly big numbers. And I just wonder what will happen to something like fair break, which has provided us with a little bit of a glimpse into cricket in Brazil, for example, cricket in Vanuatu. A lot of players from the UAE also playing there. I don't know whether you watched it uh, or kept an eye on it, but what did you think of it in, in terms of quality and interest levels and all that kind of thing? Yeah, look, I think it's a great concept and it does seem to have a huge amount of support among the big name players as well as the associate players for whom it's designed to, to give a chance. I mean, it seems to me like a lot of those, you know, big name players want to be involved, they, you know, say it's a great tournament. And that's, you know, a, a wonderful thing because that will sort of draw the interest and then the eyeballs are on the games for, for these players that are getting an opportunity that may not be known otherwise so yeah you you're right to highlight that as an opportunity for them and I guess yeah like you say you can only hope that it, it doesn't get overshadowed I mean um Danae Van Eekert played in that one as well that was sort of her comeback really after that very long period out um and she, she left South Africa um towards the end of the the World Cup to prepare well for WPL and then went went to fair break um, didn't play um, so much in the, the WPL, but, you know, did play in, the, in fair break and she had an interesting start to the tournament there. Yeah, she did. She was dismissed for a duck by Marizan Cup in her first game. And when I asked her about it, she just said, oh, well, that was interesting. And if we weren't married before this, we probably wouldn't have got married after that. So she was quite, she was quite upset to have been dismissed by her wife. But she also rightly said that Marizan's one of the toughest bowlers in the world. And if you're going to make a comeback into competitive professional cricket, there's no better way to do it than to face someone like her. So she's kind of got a constant companion by, by her side, really testing her skills all the way. And that's sort of how they've been since the early days when they, they were actually the first women to be accepted into the Boys Academy at Eastern Province. And that was in 2013, so 10 years ago. And it's quite interesting how they've developed side by side. And I think probably quite interesting now how their careers will take slightly different paths because Marizan's indicated a, a desire to keep playing for South Africa. Something that I think we're starting to hear more and more from 
female cricketers that they're having to do what the men are doing and saying, I still want to play international cricket. Someone else who's recently done that I've, I've seen is Hayley Matthews, who, what a phenomenal run she had uh, at the WPL and then at Fairbreak. And she, very much like a Chamari Atapatu, strikes me as someone who's got to carry her team. And the team just don't seem to be improving at the same rate that she's improving. And you kind of wonder, you know, what, what is going to go on there in the future in that how much will she want to have to be of one person or, you know, maybe two or three people in the case of West Indies team and then have to like sit through the struggle and constant kind of wondering of, of when anything like an amazing T20 World Cup result will come their way again. So, yeah, I guess it's, it's bringing up a lot of the same issues that we've seen brought up in the men's game. And I do remember before the T20 World Cup, the ICC were asked about this and they said they want to create an FTP to avoid these clashes, to create windows for leagues. I guess what we never consider is that the leagues won all the windows, right? And, and they, don't, they don't really allow for bilateral cricket to, to thrive. But having all that said, we know that the Women's Ashes has a window of its own now. And you must be really excited. They, I've heard that you know, record ticket sales and some great action coming up. Um, are you going to be covering that for us from the ground? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, be travelling for, for all of those matches and really looking forward to it. And and you're right to sort of talk about the buzz in terms of fans for that. Um, Just heard this morning that 65,000 tickets have already sold for England women home fixtures in their summer this year. So, I mean, that's an absolute huge number. And, you know, obviously a, a ball hasn't been bowled yet, far from it. So the interest is looking really healthy there. And, uh, you know, I, th I think it'll be a, a really good tournament. I mean, it'll bring us back to another age-old argument, which is, um, you know, just the strength and depth of Australia. And, I mean, we seem to talk about it every tournament, but, you know, you, you can't avoid it. They have just been such a force for so long. Um, we, we've seen recently um, Beth Mooney recognised by Wisden as the leading women's cricketer uh, for 2022, um, and rightly so. I mean, she she's a great story, um, just such a performer. But you know, broke her jaw three days before the uh, Ashes, which were in Australia um, at the the start of you know end of 2021 and start of 2022. Broke her jaw in the nets three days before. Um, you know, was told. You, you could actually, that was on a Tuesday, I think she saw the doctor and um, was told, well, you could play on the Thursday, but she actually didn't play the T20s, um, two of which were washed off anyway, um, but came back for the test. So, you know, only a matter of a few days later and, um, and you know, performed in the Ashes series. Um, then obviously to sort of the uh, one day World Cup, led her side to that, um, led her side to the Commonwealth Games gold medal. She averaged 100 in one day internationals throughout 2022 and was leading a side that lost once all year and that was in the super over to India. So, I mean, they are just formidable competition. And again, I guess this is another opportunity for, you know, England to test that depth that they're now developing in that more professionalized domestic structure, which we mentioned at the start. And, um, and just how much closer they can get um, to them over the course of a multi-format series. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting and, and um, yeah, can't wait to see it unfold. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I mean, England have got some great performers in the leagues. I'm thinking of Sophie Eccleston, Nat Siverbrandt. They, they've really got match winners in, in their ranks. And I wonder what the effect of having now played for, I mean, it's been quite a sustained period of time that the women who've been playing consistently have been on the road, I guess, since the end of January, really, and you know we're almost in May, so four or five months of consistent cricket, and to see what that does in terms of playing against the best in the world, and, and they've shown themselves to be among the best in the world, 
so whether that results in, in more England wins, I suppose, is what is what we're waiting to see. But just on on those two, uh, are you expecting some big things from them? I know that you've covered them extensively, and and they're just such standout players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Nat Siverbrunson really justified her huge price tag at the WPL, didn't she? I mean, she went as the joint highest overseas player and she was player of the match uh, in the final and, you know, just has been a standout performer. And that's, you know, in light of having a, a mental health break as well, sort of last September, you know, she took three months off and she's come back, you know, as good as ever and, and yeah, is just such a reliable performer for England and likewise Sophie Eccleston I mean she's been around forever and she's still only really young but she has just been at the top of the the spin rankings for for so long and just been at the top of their game so I mean she, she's a proven match winner time and time again so it's a case of I think England getting that all to gel consistently over the course of that multi-format series to give give Australia a bit of a push so it's going to be um, really interesting to see. Yeah, and for the rest of us, I guess, we'll be watching in, in various countries around the world. I mean, the SCP next has South Africa playing Pakistan around August, September. So it's quite a long wait. And then they go to Australia and they're actually playing a test match there, which is going to be quite exciting to, to see. But I suppose what we're hoping is that something like a woman's ashes ignites some desire in the other countries to have more bilateral series. And I think India will be very interested. Of course, you mentioned Wisden, Harman Precor also being recognized there. It's great to see players from outside of England and Australia, where we know the structures have been in place for so much longer, coming to the fore and to see India catching up so quickly. I think that's really going to be the, the thing to keep an eye on um, as our little segment develops here uh, on our Ladies Who Switch segment on the podcast. And then also um, as women's cricket just changes and grows, it's been so much so quickly. So I'm really excited to see what happens over the next few months. Yeah, like you mentioned, um, Harman Preet, one of the five cricketers of the year in, in Wisdom for 2022. And what an amazing year she had. And she's just rolled on. I mean, she's captained Mumbai Indians to um, to the WPL title. Um, so, I mean, that was sort of a, a dream sort of story for her. But going back to last year, I mean, she basically was named one of the five by Wisdom largely on the back of her 143 not out of Canterbury in the second one day international. It was just a phenomenal innings off 111 balls, um, just, you know, absolute standout. And then that sort of, you know, moved into a 3-0 sweep of the series. And that was uh, India's first in one day international since 1999. So she really sort of has brought her side a long way in, as you say, a relatively short period of time. And as we've mentioned, you know, the, the influence that the WPL can now have on their growth in India and, and you know, the, the depth that they will surely uh, bring that you like to think that that's going to, you know, keep them a, a force in the game for, for a long time to come. So I'm sure we're going to have loads and loads to talk about as the summer um, rolls on over here and, and can't wait to, to do more of this uh, this with you in the coming weeks. Yeah, me too. I have one last point I have to make, as you were saying, recognised by an annual. I just remembered a story from South African cricket about two or three years ago when there was a long debate about whether to put a woman on the cover of our annual because it was going. the award was going to go to Laura Wolfart. It was, I think it was the 2021 year. It was still a COVID year. And uh, the men's team had basically disintegrated in that time. You know, there was administrative crisis, the social justice hearings were going on. They had lost series against Sri Lanka and Ireland and Bangladesh. They'd lost ODI games in the World Cup Super League. They were just a mess. And it was pretty clear that the, the, a woman's cricketer should be cricketer of the year. 
And in the end, the uh, matter was decided by splitting the cover and having Laura Wolf on in one half and Quentin de Kock on the other. And I don't even know why he was there. And it just see, and that was just two years ago. And it just seems ridiculous in hindsight that we would even consider something like that. There's absolutely no reason why a woman can't be cricketer of the year. Cricket South Africa are meeting to discuss their annual awards next week. Uh, and I know that because I'm on the judging panel. So I'm going to fight really hard to get a woman uh, recognized because, you know, we're, we're at that stage now where we can talk about it equally. So that's why we're on the pod. That's why we're going to dominate some airtime. And um, hopefully we will have much more to talk about in the weeks to come. So there you go. We'll be hearing plenty more from Valkyrie and Ferdos throughout the summer. In the meantime, please feel free to rate us and leave a comment through your preferred pod platform and keep up to date with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com.